Welcome to another episode of Playing with Research in Health and Physical Education. Um, this next set of podcasts is going to be broken up into two parts. Uh, the first part, uh, we have Dr. Lewis Harrison and Lenson Clark on both of these. And we ended up having the longest podcast that I've recorded to date. So we talked for over an hour and 10 minutes or something. So I've kind of edited it down into two separate parts. One is more about, and this is going to be the first one, is more about information, about uh, Dr. Harrison's career, about the initiatives he's done at UT Austin, um, kind of advice to uh, young scholars, uh, brief understanding of what type of research he does. And then part two is going to be more along the lines of um, his more specific research about race and ethnicity. We talk later with Langston and Dr. Harrison about um, their perceptions of how, um, how to talk about race and teach education courses and how race kind of uh, permeates through these discussions in what's happening K-12 uh, and you know, schools and what's happening in the classrooms as well. So um, hope you enjoy these. Uh, they are, um, we, I had some sort of audio issue that I've spent two hours trying to fix. So it's not perfect, but the, the content is really, really awesome. And um, I really hope that you enjoy these, um, these two next uh, podcasts. All right, so uh, we are here with Dr. Lewis Harrison from the University of Texas at Austin and Dr. Langston Clark from the University of Texas at San Antonio. Uh, we've been lucky enough to have some great conversations lately with scholars in our field who've really been influential to the growth and legitimacy of our field. So we're uh, continuing that trend in our second year with Dr. Harrison, and we're lucky to have one of his former students and a young scholar in our field, Dr. Langston Clark, on at the same time. So uh, Langston will jump in with some pointed questions uh, throughout the podcast as well. But um, Dr. Harrison, let's just start off with a really simple question that might take us uh, down a rabbit hole. But uh, how did you end up at UT Austin? Can you kind of explain your path to UT and, you know, maybe start from your undergrad and kind of follow along and happy to take any tangents that uh, you want to take? Well, uh, as an undergrad, I, I was born and raised in New Orleans and I went to uh, undergrad at the University of New Orleans. I got my, both my bachelor's and master's degree there. Um, I got a job as an instructor at the University of Louisiana Lafayette and um, from there I started taking courses and got got my uh, PhD from LSU and was hired there as an assistant professor and um, worked there for quite a while and uh, about 12 to 13 years and then I was recruited to the University of Texas uh, to start a physical education program here. So uh, this is Langston Clark, everybody. Uh, it's, a, it's a joy and a pleasure to be on the podcast. Just wanted to ask uh, you, Dr. Harrison, this question. Um, as a doc student, you know, we always get told that you don't get to stay um, planted where you are after you graduate. And so I, I think it's unique that you had that experience, um, an experience that a lot of us don't have, because we dream about, like, going back to where we got our PhDs. Um, just some some insights on what what that experience was like what was the dynamic um 
of of you being able to stay at the school that you got your 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 doctoral degree? Yeah, I, I know it's it's rather unusual, uh, but I get think it was an unusual set of circumstances. Um, I didn't want to leave because I had some family issues. I, uh, my wife's family is from Baton Rouge. My family's from New Orleans. I didn't really want to leave the area. Uh, and at the time, LSU was looking for an assistant professor. Um, had interviewed several people uh, for one reason or another. None of them took the job. And I was at the same time out looking for, uh, I was interviewing for positions. And uh, finally, um, I asked the chair, well, what about if I uh, apply for this position? And uh, she told me to go ahead and do so because they were having trouble filling it. So uh, I guess the rest is history. I wound up there at LSU uh, after being a student there for so long. So how long were you at LSU for? How many, how many years? Um, I worked there as an instructor for a while. I, I graduated in 1997 and I started my assistant professorship right at, at, at that point. I, I had been working there since about 95, 94, I believe. So and I worked as, a, as an instructor for like three years and then uh, went on the tenure track as an assistant professor and got tenured there and then was recruited here. Texas. And so you went from LSU and to University of Texas, and those are the only two places that you've uh, you've worked at as a as a professor, correct? Correct. Yes. So, what would you say, like the like the institutional differences, and not to categorize them in like these binaries of good or bad or anything like that, but what what are the differences between you know, you went both our R1 places. And so what can you kind of talk about why you decided to move and what kind of attracted you to UT? Well, one of the things, uh, it, the, the work that I was doing uh, in terms of race and, and sport and physical activity and physical education, um, LSU was a little bit more conservative and uh, doing the work around there um well, let's say when I came to visit Texas and talk to some of the faculty members, and there are lots of people here doing work uh, in the realm of uh, race and ethnicity and culture, and people were very, very comfortable about talking about those kinds of things here. And it made, it, it just seemed like a place where I could be comfortable in doing the kind of work uh, that I do, probably more comfortable than I was say at LSU. Um, so it, it, it was very attractive to be able to come here and work around colleagues, uh, lots of other colleagues that did work, even if they weren't engaged in physical education or sport, they were still dealing with issues of culture and race and ethnicity and gender and all of those things uh, that we in this department uh, seek to understand better. So for me as a follow-up, I'm, I'm just kind of um, wondering, so you came from a kinesiology department to a curriculum and instruction department. And I think 
um, me even being someone who, who kind of did the same thing, right? Because I was in the PhD program in CNI and I'm in kinesiology. What, what was, what was the, the transition like from those two different like academic cultures, the culture of CNI and the culture of kinesiology? Because as peak scholars, we're like, I don't know, I think we're in the margins of both, right? But we're not, we're, both are very different. It, it, it's, it's a weird space to be in. Yes, it is. It's, it's, it's very interesting. And kinesiology departments, um, oftentimes a lot of the power is wielded by uh, the people in the scientific areas, exercise physiologists, biomechanics, uh, those kinds of individuals where there is a lot of, there's a much more availability of, of grant funding and those kinds of things. So those individuals tend to hold the power. And then, but then in a curriculum and instruction department, it's the people in science education that tend to have a little bit more power. And again, the power usually goes with the money because of the available grant funding uh, in those areas. So, but I, I, I think physical education, from my perspective, uh, I think we're a little bit more comfortable in this educational space rather than in the uh, biomechanic exercise physiology space uh, of kinesiology. So that's that's just my you know my perception from the two places that I've been. Yeah, we just had our um, summer research reading seminar for our master's students, and we went through that uh, 1990s quest. A set of articles by Locke and Seed and Top and Newell about, you know, the fractioning of the field and chaos out of order and Roberta Rickley's uh, paper in 2006 about, you know, the, building a home for kinesiology. And I think it's a it's such an interesting space to be in now because yeah. kinesiology is so big. It's attracting so many, you know, students and PE ends up becoming not the most attractive place to, you know, study necessarily when you have all this biomechanics and all this cool high-tech equipment and working in sports. So um, can you talk about, I know you gave a presentation at ARA a few years back about how UT, you've kind of decided where to go and where physical education is housed and how you've kind of restructured your physical education program to be more attractive and kind of be more widespread so you can do a coaching emphasis or get a teacher licensure or um, get some other other experience that way yeah we had a, a a lot of different kinds of students coming to our that were interested in our program uh, we had the traditional peach students who wanted to study physical education uh, but we also had some individuals that were coming in that wanted to look at, uh, uh, for example, people that were interested in my background wanted to look at the race and uh, ethnicity aspect of, of physical education and of sport uh, and how those two overlap. So um, we had some different kinds of students that came in and we wanted to try to be more inclusive to be able to um, respond to their their areas of interest so risto um one of the things that like i noticed being a doc student um under dr harrison at ut was um was a 
a a welcoming of being mentored and learning from and doing research with scholars who are committed to the type of like cultural social justice work that we do but aren't in physical education and so as a student coming up under Dr. Harrison um it was it was beneficial because I learned I learned perspectives of education um from scholars in social studies or scholars in curriculum studies or cultural studies ideas that were fresh in PE um that maybe weren't so fresh in other disciplines but at the same time uh, we 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 had an opportunity to educate scholars and other disciplines of teacher education on what it is and some of the issues that we have in PE beyond the experiences that they had at K through 12 students um and that that was one of the primary benefits i think um from the from the perspective of a doc student uh, of being in an environment like that so how did that uh how did that influence the scholarship that you're doing now like did you did you come in knowing exactly what you wanted to study at UT and that's why you sought out Dr. Harrison or did you kind of come into UT and then kind of move towards that way and has that influenced the work that you do now? Um, I, I, Dr. Harrison was su suggested to me by Dr. Hodge at Ohio State, who was my advisor um, while I was getting my master's degree. And um, I benefited from a fellowship my first year uh, in the doc program. And I, I think like most, most doctoral students, I had a whole bunch of different ideas of things that I wanted to study um, and were interested in. I don't even know if I remember all of them, to be honest with you. Um, I, I, don't, I, don't think, I, don't, I don't think coming into UT that it gave me, that, it, it, that, that being under the scholars at UT Austin gave me what I wanted to study. I was interested in historically black colleges and universities, and there's one across the highway um, from us. So I was already going over there to talk to students. What UT Austin gave me were the tools um, to understand how to do the type of research that I was doing, um, and not necessarily the topic, if, if that makes sense. It gave me a perspective of um, education and systems and structures um, that I wasn't privy to uh, before, but a, a lot of that came from um, outside of the PE program uh, from scholars who, who have perspectives and insights that, you know, are, like I said, are fresh and new uh, in our discipline. And I think that's, that's interesting because there are a lot of, you know, techniques and theories that, you know, you just look at in other fields of education, it's... And not always, but it seems like physical education's a little bit behind. And, you know, there are certain, like, if you were to sit down and read the latest research in a top-tier educational journal and use those theories and practices in PE, you'd be really cutting edge. You yeah. know, just by just looking at what they're doing, repeating a similar study in physical education class instead of a science or math or English or social studies. So... Um, and I, I, I like what you said, Langston, about, you know, going to UT gave you the tools, not necessarily the topic. And I think that's an, important yeah. to remember as PhD students is 
yeah, look for an advisor who's going to help you and aligns with your, you know, topic of interest. But also you got to do something that you're passionate about. And, you know, that it might not be exactly following along the line of whoever your advisor is. Um, but I, I, I like the way the way that you put that. So, uh, Langston, have you um, can you talk a little bit about your work in uh, HBCUs and kind of talk a little bit? And I know we're going to have you on in a future podcast about a specific paper, but can you kind of give us an overview of what kind of work you're recently doing and how that kind of relates to um, to these conversations? Uh, so my my work has been on the uh, manifestation of social justice um, within Pete's physical education, teacher education um, at historically black colleges and universities. And um, essentially what I do is I, I take this concept that is popular in Pete, but popular across like education, teacher education scholarship and put it in a context that isn't predominantly white, which is what most of um uh, the bulk of the literature uh, attends to. And so um, I, I wanted to explore something that was rooted in like my own sort of training as a PE teacher, um, but then also offer something new, um, a different perspective or vantage point of social justice um, to the PE literature, but then also the physical, uh, the teacher, the broader teacher education literature. Um, because as we stated before, if you take some concept that that maybe isn't so new in teacher education or the broader education universe and apply it to PE, then it becomes novel. But there's some novelty with what we do that doesn't get recognized um, throughout the broad universe of teacher education scholarship. And so what I've tried to do is sort of bridge both of those gaps to kind of talk about social justice in a way that we don't talk about it in Pete, but then also talk about social justice in a way that isn't talked about within teacher education, within classroom teacher education preparation. Yeah, and Langston, you brought this up at, um, I think it was the last AERA about, uh, you know, presenting our research in more wider education journals. Um, can you both give a couple journals that you've had positive experiences with that are not like PESP, JTPE, RQES, but are a little bit more wide that are receptive to um, physical education research? Um, I've uh, published in uh, with, with other students in, in, in urban ed, uh, an urban ed journal that's really an educational journal, uh, and in uh, race, ethnicity, and education, and uh, which again is again another UK uh, journal that kind of focuses on educational bro education broadly. So uh, those are the two that come to mind uh, for me. So I have uh, published in the Teacher Educator. Um, I've published in the Journal of Negro Education, and. I think those are those are the two most recent ones that aren't PE journals. But I also wanted to say this because I made this mistake as a young scholar. Um, I had an opportunity. 
I got a revise and resubmit from the Journal of Teacher Education, which is like one of the top teacher education journals. And I, it's the language that reject and then resubmit later on. But I read that as a rejection. And so um, I think I carried the way I interpreted the language was me carrying something I project onto these other, other journals. I think in some ways they're more receptive to our work than we realized. And the filter that I had up didn't allow me to see that they were actually giving me feedback and encouraging me to do a revise and resubmit. But my heart and my mind viewed it as an outright rejection and that's not what it was. So um, don't, don't think, I, I don't think we should assume that we can't get published in an AERA journal or, you know, a journal of teacher education or uh, teacher's college record or whatever the case may be. Because we, we offer perspectives from PE that other people, I, I think, are open to listening to and reading. Yeah, and I think that today's reject and resubmit is is really a, a revise and resubmit. And I, right. and I have no data to back this up, but I have this strong inkling that a lot of it is increasing the rejection rate so their impact factor is stronger. So they'll say it's a reject but hey, we've opened the door. It's basically major revisions. Just revise it and then the next round when you send it in, we'll stay at our 50%, 40% rejection rate. And um, yeah, I've, I've had that too and it, it definitely stings. Um, so speaking of, uh, of that kind of experience, Dr. Harrison, can you uh, do you have any advice that you'd give to young scholars in the field of uh, physical education regarding, you know, anything, the publication process, the tenure process, um, any kind of words of wisdom as you've gone through it? Well, Langston's probably heard this a lot, but I always <laughs> tell my students to, to grow some thick skin. Uh, don't take, uh, you know, what don't, don't take the feedback from your papers personally. Uh, take it as an opportunity to, to, you know, I mean, you know when someone uh, is saying something about your paper that maybe they don't quite understand, but also be open enough to see that, well, maybe, you know, the perspective that you bring to this is maybe a little bit different. Uh, be ready to, to be open enough to not allow these things to, as Langston did, <laughs> or hurt your feelings uh, because it said reject. And even if you get an outright reject, that doesn't mean your paper's not any good. That simply means you've got to go someplace else with it. That's all. Do you have a, um, like a, a system that you do for continuing to stay productive in um, getting out papers? Do you have like, I always have this many projects in press, in review, or this many collaborators, or any any formula or anything like that that you try to stick to? You know, I, I kind of envy people who do that. I, I don't. <laughs> uh, I kind of let things come the way they come and flow with, uh, <clears throat> you know, whatever I'm working with. Sometimes I sometimes I get too many ideas, some things that I can't follow up myself. And uh, I'm blessed to have some really good graduate students around that I can say, hey, 
look, I was thinking about this. What do you think about this? You're interested in this? And they can take the idea and run with it because I don't have time to actually, uh, you know, develop the project. So uh, I'm just happy to get the work out. And many times I'm simply, I'm just working and, and publishing with my graduate students more so than coming up with things myself because I have so many other things that, that pull me in so many different directions. It's hard sometimes to stay focused on a, a particular research trajectory. Right. Um, can you talk a little bit about your PhD students? Um, do you know how many you've had over the years uh, and kind of your mentality about mentorship? Um, I, I take a, uh, I try to take a, kind of an open perspective on mentorship I try to listen to and watch and pay attention to my students to kind of flow with them uh, students are all different there are some students uh, that you can kind of get close to other students are more standoffish and you know it's, it's it just runs the gamut uh, but I try to get as close as I can to my students because I believe that I have to get close enough to them to get them to trust me before they'll take criticism for me, from me. And sometimes my criticism is a little bit harsh. Uh, and people won't take that from people that they don't trust or they think that don't really care about them. So if you show people that you care about them, then you can bring the criticism on. And the criticism is necessary, especially as you go further along in the doctoral program, uh, because you know, sometimes you got to say, no, that's not good enough. No, you didn't do a good job with this. And, and you know, uh, again, trying to teach them to grow that thick skin, to not take criticism personally, but to do, use it to make what they, uh, what they do better. So, again, just trying to learn the graduate students, you know, the, the ins and outs, what, you know, what motivates them, what... Uh, makes them stand off. There, there are some graduate students that, you know, uh, I have to kind of keep a distance from because they, they're that kind of person. And then others I can get really close to. So it just depends. I, I really just try to take them, uh, look at them and work with them as individuals to try to see what's the best way to motivate them to be the best person that they can be and and I have a stake in this because I really love this research and I want it to continue to go on so I'm yeah. hoping these individuals will you know, continue on doing this kind of work thank you so much for your time uh, really appreciate both of you coming on today and um, next week we are moving on to our second part of this uh, this podcast uh, where we really d uh, dig a little deeper into um, Dr. Harrison, your work about uh, race, ethnicity, and sports and physical education. So I really appreciate the time. We're going to link to both of your faculty profiles um, at the bottom of the notes section for those of you who are interested in finding more about uh, the research that uh, two of these great scholars are doing.